Welcome to the Brains Magazine podcast, a podcast with in-depth interviews and conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, expert coaches, industry leaders, and international celebrities. Get exclusive insight into the world of business, mindset, leadership, and lifestyle with your host, Mark Sefton. want to welcome you to the next episode of the Brains Magazine podcast. And today we are speaking with David Lutz. David is an executive talent management consultant. He's also a leadership career coach, amongst uh, many other things. David, it's lovely to have you on today's uh, Brains podcast. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. It's an honor. Privilege. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I I always say about how much I enjoy, you know, just sitting sitting down with somebody like you and and kind of really getting into your your psyche. I'm always fascinated by people's motivations. I think for me, my enjoyment of interviewing, you know, thousands of people over the years is is fundamentally, you know, why people do what they do more so than I think what it is that they do. I've always found that really fascinating. Have you always mm. kind of enjoyed uh, the exploration of, of human behavior, David, and the reasons why we do things? Yeah, there's a there's been a motivation that's even shifted at my late age in life that it's the big why. Uh, it's the true north question. Uh, you know, it's easy to take an academic qualification and take a good uh, CV or resume and just say, that's what I do. But the question is, when you wake up in the morning, what gives you a buzz? Uh, it's not that you've got to be happy and psyched all the time. It's uh, what makes you go the extra mile? What makes you give more? What makes you invest more of yourself? Uh, what what about self-improvement? Why do you want to get better at not only what you do, but who you are? So it comes out of my background in ministry, sure. Uh, but the basic sum it all up for me at these days, it's to help people find mer- purpose, meaning, and direction. And I know that if we can help people even discover a bit of that, then they're going to you know be much happier in life. So. Do you find, David, that like with time um, that we kind of naturally kind of become a bit more aware of maybe our maybe our purpose? Or do you think that we can we can become very focused on our purpose even at a young age? Because it seems like, you know, there's a there's a lot here. I think, you know, I'm 41. Uh, I don't know how old you are, David, but obviously, you know, I've been living intensely for quite a number of years and realize, you know, none of us chose to be here on planet Earth. Our parents made that choice. Uh, and we're trying to do our best to kind of understand what we'll put on Earth to do uh, and actually have some meaning to our life. Does it come with age or is it something that you feel like we can we can really tap into as soon as possible? Look, Mark, I'm not going to let you trick me into telling you how old I am. You know, there's no way I'm going to do that. I mean, <laughs> I am old enough to be your father. Let's put it that way. Uh <laughs> The, the thing that I've discovered over the years is, you know, I began life in Christian ministry in a place in South Africa when uh, church ministry, where you're at, there's a battle for survival mentally, emotionally, and even physically, practically. When I transitioned out of ministry, I began to realize that the battle of cultures and the battle of values and the battle of uh, isms in the sense of, and I'm not talking about communism or socialism or whatever. I'm talking about rightsism, wantsism. I, I must have more. I must accumulate more. And the pressure to conform and the pressure to be what the world around you wants you to be, you know, became my 
I guess my own sense of purpose to help people realize that they have God-given talent, they have God-given ability, there are strengths inside us, there are uh, want-to, must-do, can-do factors that come into our lives that get us to a place where until I satisfy that, until I pursue that, until I discover it and unlock it, uh, I probably won't be, and I don't want to say happy because happiness is about happenings, you know, but we're not going to discover joy uh, and a joy of inner peace and inner sense of purpose. So uh, in my own role, whether it be in professional life, in big global corporations, or whether I'm working with the church, for me, I, I'm kind of being more and more, I'm discovering my own purpose is I'm a gift detector and developer. You know, I help you discover what it is that moves you, drives you, gives you a sense of purpose and calling, and then we'll tailor it, develop it, enhance it, and help you to fit within the world that you feel that you you belong and need to work in. So it's not, it sounds a bit esoteric and a bit sort of, eh, sort of too good to be true, but it's what I've been doing for 50 years. And I, and I really find that as soon as someone will acknowledge, yes, there is something in me that was given to me. Mm. And I have an obligation to unleash it, unlock it. Great. Then the problem, sorry, last thing I want to say on that, then I work with companies to say, well, if you're going to have a successful organization, you're going to create a good culture where people are going to thrive. You've got to discover, help them to discover that as well and support them in it. It's not about using them as a, as a, uh, a commodity that will be exploited to, to get more profit. It's actually, you help your people grow, learn, and improve, your company will be successful. Mm, I like that. Like I said at the beginning, like, I'm always fascinated by the motivation. So I'd love to know, David, why is there a, like a deep longing like within you um, that really identifies the fact that you know you really want to be able to help put the world back together again? Like, What is it within you that... that has that desire to do that? Well, I was the all-American boy, uh, vote not voted most likely to succeed, but you know, pretty close. President of the student council, captain of clubs and sports, and uh, kind of had this. The future was mapped out for me to just pursue your dream, which actually was the dream of all American families for their kids to go to a good college and succeed. Blah blah blah. And then I went to South Africa as a Rotary Exchange student, uh, let my very, very short conservative hair down, so much so that the private boys' school that they put me in, the family I stayed with and the Rotary Club themselves were deciding to send me home. Mm. And it would have been the first one in the history of the Rotary program. And uh, I was really searching for who Dave Lutz was. I, I really, I had decided I'm not going to be this boy from the upstate New York small village. I'm going to be whoever it is I'm supposed to be. I didn't, I didn't know what that meant. Anyway, they sent me to a, a Christian camp in north of Cape Town. Uh, I made very, very clear to the camp leader, who was a prominent lawyer in the city, and to my host father, who took me to the bus station, I want you to keep your religious mitts off me. I have no interest. Tell Do not come near me. Uh, don't talk to me about the Bible, which I'd never held in my life before. I'd never been to church, never been to Sunday school. So why I had a feeling of, you know, a view on the Bible was a good one. But uh, the, anyway, got to the, I think the Baptist minister who was leading our tent of about nine boys, you know, I think he wanted to quit the ministry by the time we got to Thursday. I was pretty awful to him. But anyway, on the Thursday night, 
the the commandant, the lawyer who was leading the camp, uh, shared something that just said, you know, that Jesus is relevant, he's real, he's alive, and he can make a difference. You need to hang a sign around your neck that says you're under new management. Are you willing to do that? And I go, whoa, I've never even thought about it before. I really, I had no idea, no context. So anyway, after the with coffee break, I went to him later and just said, you know, I want to say thank you. And I didn't. Instead, I grabbed him by the shirt and tears streaming down my face. I screamed in his face. Why has nobody ever told me this before? This is the most amazing news I've ever heard. And I, you know, I was shaking him violently. He described me later as an angry young man. Uh, but anyway, that started my journey. October 7th, 1970. Wow. And uh, I began to, he began to coach and guide me to say, there's something in you that has meaning and purpose. And I want to help you to discover it. And that became my question, my, my, my own sense of mission and purpose. Lost my way along, you know, in the journey. Along the way, I got lost and mixed up and found myself doing really weird things like helping downsize Soviet military all over the former Soviet Union. But again, it was still about retraining regrouping, rediscovering who you are, what you're meant to do, and get into jobs, get into careers, get into something that has a sense of mission and purpose. And that's been my my own personal quest and my own sense of mission for years and years. So, mm. so it sounds like you're a bit of a modern day soul then uh, during those young years. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, I never came to mind before, but thank you for that. I'm not, uh, you mean like I'm on the road to Damascus and I'm going to get struck down off the, yeah, okay, great. Thanks for that. I, I'm waiting for it to come any day, any day. Oh, I don't think you're there now. I oh, think I see. Okay. No, you've transitioned to Paul <laughs> oh, now, but, but in those younger years where you were like, I don't want anything to do with like God or Christianity. Oh, I don't want anybody no, no. to come near me. Yeah, yeah. It, and it's what's odd is that I had no context. The only thing about religion or Christianity that was that two things. One, my great great my great grandmother wanted me to say grace at Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so I would use the same one starting from the age of 10 and for four or five years. And I would say exactly the same grace prayer. And as I finished, you know, my mom, my great grandma, the three aunts. Uh, aunties would all, you know, tears streaming down their face. Oh, he says that so nicely. And all the cousins would want to throw up. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other, the other thing is that I uh, I used to get weepy at the, the Christmas song, Little Drummer Boy. And I have no idea why. Other than that, I had no, no interest whatsoever. I had no knowledge or interest. So Interesting. Now, your faith is at the core of a, a, a lot of what you do, David. Do you ever feel like compromised in in your work while honoring honoring your faith? It, there's always a challenge there. I, I've been asked to do some really bad things and stupid things, and I have walked away. Uh, for example, I worked with one global corporate. Actually, they were they were the world's largest dairy producer, and I had been asked to come in and find out why forty seven percent of all top and middle and upper managers were leaving the organization every year. That's tough. I mean, maybe I think it was 30%, 35%. And I went in and discovered that it was X, Y, and Z, you know, that there was a, and it was a leadership issue. But, and I, they said, formulate a plan to help people believe and, and, and accept that we have a new set of values. We're going to put people first. Work-life balance is going to be essential. Development of leadership skills will be priority go out and design a program to tell them. When I pitched it to the senior management, the president, a French guy, uh, said to me, no, I don't want you to 
do that. I don't want all this touchy-feely American stuff. He said, I want you to go and tell them, there's your job description. There's what we pay you to do. You either do it and love cheese making, or you leave or you're fired. And I had gone all over the country in Canada telling people that there's a new world coming, that we're going to have a, a an organization that actually cares about you going and playing soccer and football with your children on the weekend mm. instead of making cheese. Anyway, I, I said, I can't do that. I can't be that messenger. Mm. So the thing, the, the, the core for me is what I don't, I don't beat people over the head with the Bible and I certainly don't cram it down their throats. I work in Muslim communities all the time. Mm. And the thing that I, and other faiths and, and cultures, the thing that I stress is that whatever you do, do it excellently. Mm. Now, whether you have a faith that drives you to do that or a commitment to a higher power or God, in my case, uh, you know, an allegiance to, to, to Jesus as my King and my Lord, I will do it excellently, not to win his favor, not to earn his love, but just because that's the best way I can show him that uh, that I appreciate what he's done for me. But now, one very quick analogy or one quick story. I teach on servant leadership. I train on servant leadership. I speak all over the world on servant leadership. It is becoming a hot topic amongst the seven types of leadership styles that could be adopted in any organization. And it's and it's absolutely true. I do exactly the same curriculum in global corporates all over the world as I do in a church. The only thing different is I don't have Bible verses. I say nothing different. Push people up. Care more about others than for your, than yourself. Help them to develop, learn, grow, improve, and, and thrive. Create a culture. Create a soil where people can grow in. Everybody wins. And not only that, guys. It's smart business as well. You know, mm. that's the way we, and so that's what motivates me is to see that light come on mm. uh, and to see people respond to that and say, well, help us do that. And then I can get really close to it as a coach, or, for example, and just help people to discover those, well, discover that, that purpose. The challenge is many of the cultures, many of the organizations, their values say we will achieve our financial objectives come what may, and we don't care what we do to get there. And if you don't like it, then go somewhere else. And the culture is not one of support or unlocking potential or anything like that. It's about commodity. Mm -hmm. So, and okay. So if the values aren't there, uh, then you can't, can't really help. Mm -hmm. I start often my first thing in many of my sessions in a conference or in a seminar or workshop is what do you believe about people? What do you really believe? Are they basically good? Can they change? Do they want to do better? Uh, do they uh, want to, uh, my phrase, learn, grow, and improve or not? Do you believe that they can be developed and, and thrive? Well, if you don't believe that people are capable and that they're, and it's, they're not worth investing in, well, then you know, I might as well go home because that's my, my thing. I, I've got to see people invested in. That's the key. Why, why are you of the opinion that people don't read the Bible, they read people? <laughs> I should have seen this one coming, Mark. I really should have. Um, it's kind of a, a cliched thing. But on the other hand, uh, I, I have done other podcasts and other presentations on, you know, the old Elvis theme, Elvis Presley theme, the church has left the building. And so I, I'm really kind of pushing that these days to Christian leaders and even myself is it's about time that we got off our pews, got off our knees and got off our backsides and go out into the real world in which we live. 
and be his hands, be his feet, be his voice, be his love, be, you know, even if it's a, if, even if it's a, just within the world that I live in, don't try to boil the ocean. Don't try to change the whole world, change and live out what you claim to believe, be an answer, be part of the answer to your own prayer and get close to people and bring what he gave you to them. So that's reading me. Uh, if, if I, if I am, if I am contradictory, I say one thing, I love you and I care about you. Oh, and by the way, come into my big church service where you can disappear anonymously into a crowd where nobody will care about your issues, your, your family, your marriage, your, your work. Well, we're, we're failing. So I believe that we need to be out the door and allowing our lives to shine. Now, are we going to fail? Absolutely. Are we going to let people down? Sure. Do it all the time. Uh, I'm not saying this is about perfection. It's about a willingness to, to love and care and do the best we can honoring him by showing that love to other people. And people read that. They, you know, one of the, sorry, I'm going to, you know, interrupt myself on this. One of the nicest things anybody said to me when I was a pastor in South Africa he was, she was a student in the Dutch Reformed Church, was which is hyper-conservative. And the, the duomini, the pastor of the church there, is only a one notch below the angels in terms of authority. And I was sharing with my spiritual father, the, the lawyer who, who was at the camp, and we were joking, laughing, you know, cheating at uh, pool and snooker and lawn tennis and having a good old time as the guys, you know. And we're talking just like blokes. You know, we weren't doing anything, you know, just being ourselves. And she interrupted me and she said it in Afrikaans. Uh, and I, I can't quote her now, but essentially she said, Duomini, that to me, Duomini, you are the first Duomini I have ever met. Who I, if I, if, I think if I scratched deep enough, I would find a real human being underneath. Mm. And I, well, if anybody says anything better than that, let let it bring it on. But that to me was you know, authentic, real, transparent, honest. You know, take me with you know, my ups and downs. But if I can be consistently myself, consistently authentic, honoring him, then people, it's not saying they don't shouldn't read the Bible. It's just saying I've had hundreds of people over the years say, what is it about what you do and how you do it and why you do it? that that well, I just need to know and then I then I'm able to say something hopefully <laughs> yeah I mean they say that words and actions can be a lie but patterns patterns don't lie and often I think I think one of my favorite like um quotes when it comes to anything Christianity is that all points uh, share the gospel and if you must use words I think that for me kind of like says it all doesn't it it's, it's really yeah. how how we're showing up People are yeah. tired of the of the hypocrisy. No, no, absolutely. Yeah, that's why that's why I got knocked off the donkey on my road to Damascus trip. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Thanks a lot for that. Now I'm really feeling responsible. You know. So. <laughs> I wanted to ask: Can Christianity and business really coincide, right, David? Because my own experience is, unfortunately, a lot of things in the world that have Christian associated with them are not the best. They're often half-hearted, lukewarm, uh, not as professional, not as glamorous, not as high standards. I've, I've seen it throughout and nothing has changed my mind. But as mm. soon as you put Christian on it, for me, it's like it should be the creme de la creme. It should be the best of the best. And it isn't. And I feel like it's really detrimental to how 
some people are really turned off by Christianity and other people, yeah, really just don't, don't want to know anything about it. Well, yeah, I'm, and sadly, uh, you know, I have to agree with you. We're the biggest reason why people don't come to God, don't turn to Jesus. I mean, it. Uh, I, I, I would love to see that turned upside down. Uh, organizational values are driven. And I, I have to say this to any friends or people out there who want to come, you know, come and visit me. I uh, just want to remind you, I have Ukrainian mafia friends and, you know, just want to let you know that. But capitalism for me, and even, oh, I'm in real trouble now, even hardcore democracy is not Christian. I just don't believe it. We're not serving the needs of people in the whole of life. And we're exploiting, we profit, we've driven so much by profit and so much by return on investment financially and maintaining some kind of social status quo that that is about the, the haves and the have-nots. Uh, I'm not, okay, I'm really in trouble now. I just think that that's why I asked the question, even in Muslim Many, I work throughout the Middle East, and I ask the same question with Muslim communities, Jewish communities, Indian communities. What do you believe about people? Are they exploitable commodities to help you achieve a business objective, or are they a valuable part of the very fabric of who you are as an organization? What is your why as an organization? I ask the people in my groups, do you know why you exist? Well, yes, the the, the website says we exist to do this, and our people are our most valuable asset, and we don't we can't be successful without investing in our people, and that's on the website. And then everybody in the room says, that's just not true. Uh, I have a micromanager who is a bully. I have a, I feel like I'm being exploited to achieve somebody else's objective, but nobody seems to care about the fact that I have three sick children at home. Uh, I'm not saying the company needs to be so incredibly entwined and, and, and connected with the social life of their people, but at least we have to create a culture which says you are valuable. You are created by God. I'm not saying you have to bring God into the conversation, but we have such a confused set of values about what is important, what is what does rich really mean, what is anyway. I uh, I feel like I'm the richest man on, on the earth because I've worked in 45 countries and I know people from all different backgrounds. And the message from me to them and them back to me is, what is your why? Why do you do it? Uh, I I see worth in you. I see value in you as a person. Uh, and I want to help you to thrive in the soil that you're planted in. And I want to help your organization to create good soil so you can thrive. But part of that thriving and part of that goal and objective, that's the return on people investment that I want to see. But you're right. The church is, we've, we've created this, we've, we've enclosed ourselves into four walls and said, come in here and be put back together. When really we have to be out there where the real world is, in pain and struggling and and in hurting and and be there to help put them back together yeah sure invite them into the meeting by all means but don't make that the be all and end all and then we fight and snipe and shoot one another from different denominational platforms claiming that we we have got a corner we've cornered the market on truth uh, when in reality i know for a fact that in one major denomination from since 1905 there's 15,000 different groups have disagreed over one verse in first corinthians chapter 12 i mean and that's why they can't cooperate i mean it's ridiculous mm -hmm. so um i'm not a good institutional guy you're asking the wrong guy i was ordained in the anglican church of england anglican church 
I've worked non-denominationally, non-racially. And when I have declared, when we declared our fellowship, some one fellowship once that we are non-denominational and non-racial, that completely uh, upset the apple cart. Mm. And then I did it again in, in another church in South Africa. And, and because I wouldn't wear a tie, because I wanted to relate and connect with the people in the community who were visiting and so on, they said, pastors wear ties. And I said, well, I'm sorry, I have a feeling that we've been so religious this morning that Jesus probably is down at the local pub because those people are more authentic. Mm. You know, we're we're religious. And there's a big difference between being Christian and being religious. I, mm. I just, I'm sorry. So thank you for letting me share that. This has been like therapy, Mark. I mean, you know, <laughs> now you... I think I think regardless of of what somebody believes in, right? Because, you know, there's obviously people that have different faiths, different beliefs. Why is it important, David, that we have something in our life that is bigger than ourself? Why, why do we all need that? I don't know. The There are two words that come to mind when I've dwelt on this, and it's part of my writing. Actually, it's part of the contribution I hope to make to Brains Magazine. But it's there's a there's two words that kind of don't sound well together or don't, you know, you don't usually see them together. One is vacuum and the other is true north or compass. And for me, um, there's this, there is an emptiness inside in all of us that, and I'm going to now be, be a pastor type, that it's a, it's a vacuum. It's a void that only God can fill. And, and we know it. I think we have been, we have been, um, society has told us we don't or we've seen the contradictions and the hypocrisy so we've pushed it away but i think if we if we look if we can look deep enough and if that light can come on as it were we'll discover i'm not satisfied there's something missing and i personally am committed to helping people find a relationship with god through christ but to apply that in their work lives as they discover the skill, the calling, the gifting that God has put within them, and that can be further developed and, and enhanced. Um, so there's that. That's That for me is, I think everyone has it. Um, there are a lot of religions and beliefs out there that would say, yes, it's some sort of divine enlightenment or whatever. That's fine. All I know is that for me personally, that void, that hunger, that emptiness was satisfied when I surrendered to Christ and put a sign around my heart's neck that says I'm under new management. Mm. And from this day forward, I will live like that. But then there's the compass. Okay, fine. Now I've started a journey. I I, I have a sense of where I want to go. I have a, a deeper thing, a thing inside me that says, at least I have begun that something, that emptiness that was there. At least I feel like that's been my, my starting point and, and I like it. I want it. I wanted to get better and stronger. Well, then I've got to help people to, to find their way. Uh, and unfortunately the church is, you know, to come and join us, be it, you know, come into our denomination because we have the way we are the right way. And that doesn't work uh, often, most of the time. Mm. So my, if there's anything that I could do, it's to help people find that, that peace to have that void filled and then help them discover, help them put a compass in their hand. And, uh, by the way, if you look carefully in the back there, other than the baseball thing, there's a piece of driftwood with a compass hanging on it. And that's because two people in my life came at the right time with the right message. And one of them says, you're searching, David, for your career purpose. And she went away after the conference and came back the next day and gave me a compass as a gift. 
blew me away. And the other one was when I'm wandering along the shores of Lake Erie, uh, when I was having that difficult time with that large company that that wanted me to get, deliver the bad message, I was in turmoil because I needed to decide. And I found this piece of driftwood on the shore. Mm-hmm. And I said, and I said, that's me. I'm drifting, but I got a compass. And uh, I've tried to make that my my message to everybody that if they want to connect, if they want to know more, if I think I can help, that's the message I would give them. That's awesome. That's amazing. David, how do we, how do we then find the right fit for ourselves between our own development and our ability and still meeting the needs of the marketplace? How do we, how do we find that? Well, you know, there's, there's wonderful gurus out there that come on LinkedIn and other places with these amazing one-liners uh, and I, I'm actually going to start a podcast with somebody just because I, I'm angry about it. You know, don't don't choose a job, choose a boss. OK, bless you, Simon, whoever. I'm not going to quote names, but amongst others, they say that, you know, how am I going to know that the boss is the right person to lead and guide and help me to develop and grow? How do I know the organization's culture and its its values without actually being in it? Uh, I do a lot of work with the top 10 reasons why people uh, stay longer, give more, are more productive, and are happier generally. And number two on the list, in all organizations with all surveys done all over the world, is my relationship with my boss. And And people don't leave managers. They don't leave organizations. They leave their managers. And so I try to... um, help the organization recognize that investing in people, creating a culture of servant leadership, helping leaders and managers to develop at least, even if they fake it a little bit, some empathy and understanding that they can nurture and care and mentor and delegate and support and give good feedback to their people, that that's going to make it's good for the organization, good for the people, but everybody wins. When that person who felt like they've been cared for and nurtured by their boss, if possible, they go home to their family, like mine has said many times, dad, you're obviously very, very happy about what you did on that trip. Please go away more often. You know, and, and, and why is that? I said, well, because we like this guy, you know, and, and anyway, so organizations that can tap into that and recognize that investing in people is not a, a nice feeling thing. It's a, it's a good business strategy as well as does it does right by people it's hard to find and i try to coach and guide organizations to develop those cultures but i also help individuals find them as a career coach i try to help them find those cultures which is really not easy to do Mm, very well said david i have one final question for you um Uh and and i want to find out where people can find out more about you and interact with you say hello and and, uh, have a conversation with you directly but Obviously, everything for me falls to our ability to lead self, you know, self-awareness, mm. emotional intelligence. It, it's all in our relationship to self. So I'm always fascinated by this. But what is the most important habit we can establish in our self-leadership that you feel would probably benefit us all? I have built a tool, and I'm not going to get into the tool, but it's called an emotional intelligence DNA self-assessment. And it's basically called wiredness. How are you wired? And one of the best things we can do, I think, and it was good for me, and it's been good for thousands of people in my career, where you, you can ask yourself a series of questions. 
about what it is that drives you, motivates you, gives you a sense of purpose. How do you like to solve problems? How do you like to be communicated with? How do you like to interact with people? And if you can be honest with yourself about your style, the way you you uh, live it out, live out that's whatever's core important, it's your core values and so on. If you can ask them intelligent and good, helpful questions like that, not scientific, not analytical, not psychometric, but if you can begin to be true to the few things, again, don't boil the ocean, just be true to the few things that you know about yourself. For example, do you like to fix things with your hands? If you ask me that question, I would run a mile. No, thank you. I can't. Do you want to design a training strategy for 13,000 people in four countries because it will help them learn how to be better people and blah, blah, blah? I'm in. Count me in. Do you want to paint a picture that glorifies God or captures the scenery and the sunrise? Absolutely not. Don't do that to me. But some people, they have the creative, the emotional, the the uh, intellectual, the logical, the analytical. We have to, if good organizations should find a way to discover how people, not only what they can do, but where they fit as personalities, as people, as characters. Um, so it could start with me being true to myself. One thing I know that I cannot do is boom. One thing I know that I must do, that I not only want to do it, but I must, it's part of my own DNA or my own self-awareness. If I do that, I'm a pig in month. That's what I must do. And, and if anybody wants to know more about this, of course, they can read the articles in Brains Magazine. But anyway, <laughs> there you go. But that's about my want to, I must do, I can do, mm. that sort of blend of things. So that actually the checklist that's coming out in Brains throughout the years is the best thing I can tell you to do, really. It's follow that sort of recipe, if you like, and it'll at least help you ask the right questions about who you are and why you do what you do and what you want to do and long to do. Mm. And Dad, if, David, if people want to find out more about you uh how how are they best to go find out what it is that you do and 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 the, and the work that you do well there are two websites that are not set up yet because this is all a part of a new discovery for me one is called McLuhan Martin Associates which is on the business side and the other one is uh, under new management under his but under new management on the other side of the Christian perspective so right now the best place is LinkedIn it has copies of articles podcasts, things that I said uh, are, you know, I'm, I'm an advisor to organizations in places like Azerbaijan or uh, public sector organizations in the Middle East. Um, fine. That's, that sort of stuff is there too. But what it does, it describes my own sense of purpose, what gives me, what drives me down the road with purposefully, but it talks, it, it'll have contact information. It has relevant articles and postings that I put there, but that's probably the best place. David Lutz, LinkedIn.com or Amazing. the other way around. <laughs> Amazing, David. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of the Brains Magazine podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Wonderful. Pri privilege to be here. Thank you. Thank you for joining this episode with me, Max Sefton. I hope you've really enjoyed it. Feel free to leave us a positive review on iTunes. And I look forward to welcoming you back to the next episode of the Brains Magazine podcast. <laughs>